right, so we're in 1 Peter 5 this morning. We are, this is not the last week of 1 Peter, but the second to last week. Next week will be the last week in the series, and it has been, for me personally, just really encouraging and convicting all at the same time. Um, and so we're in 1 Peter 5, and this is interesting because it, it really, uh, at least the way I, I read this, is chapter 5 is kind of, kind of a postscript in Peter's letter. He really finishes the, the main content in chapter 4, and then chapter 5 he talks about he, directly to the leaders, the elders in the church, gives them some instructions, and then gives everyone else some instructions about how to relate to them, and then he closes his letter, okay? And so we're going to talk about uh, just the first five verses of chapter 5, um, as is typical for Peter, in a short space on the page, he talks about an awful lot, okay? Peter has completed the main content, and now he's going to talk about church leadership. Church leadership structure was developing very quickly at this time. Um, you know, one of the things I've pointed out to you over and over again is that the context for Peter's letter is that the church is no longer centered primarily in Jerusalem, and it has been dispersed out into the, the Roman and Greek world. And for the first time in church history, we have churches sprouting up in, where they are surrounded by a pagan culture, not a Judeo or Christian culture. They are in a very foreign culture with a different language, a different set of beliefs, and it creates a new set of problems, okay? And one of those things is you see church lead, the, the, how church leadership functions changes because at this point you start to see that the original 12 apostles can't directly um, lead and direct all the churches, okay? And so you have this need for local leadership come up. Um, most of these original 12 either had already died or were about to, and there are also just too many churches, Peter writes this letter in the 60s, I think, and we know for sure by the end of that first century, not, you know, what, 30 years later, maybe 40 years later, the idea of elder, what that word meant, had become like an official office in the church and not just a general term, okay? At the beginning of the first century, so not that much longer after elders became a thing, we have even the idea of deacons and there's a more formalized, intentional leadership structure forming. So for the purposes of interpreting Peter here, we can say that what he means by elders, okay, which is really what we're after so we can understand the passage, is the local leaders in the church, okay? Even as Peter's letter circulated, this term would be becoming more and more defined, okay? Because you can see that in sort of Paul's writings. Uh, it's a really interesting topic to study. Uh, so when, I, when we see the word elder here, don't necessarily import a 2020 evangelical definition of elder okay at this point it's a little more general than that it would become more specific but here i think we could say he's just talking to all the mature leaders in the church okay is what he's after okay so let's read this now that you have some sense of the context let's just do the first four verses first peter 5 1 through 4 says so i exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, the chief shepherd is Jesus, okay? So that phrase, exercising oversight, um, is an adverb modifying the command to shepherd. So we could say exercising oversight could be translated probably more clearly as overseeing them, okay? So shepherd them by overseeing them, okay? In the NIV, that's how it's translated. Um, So let's look at, there's three phrases here I want to break out and look at individually. I'll give them to you first, and then we'll talk about them. Number one, he says, overseeing them not as if forced, but willingly according to God. So that's one. Number two, overseeing them not greedy for gain, for shameful gain, he calls it, but eager to be of service. And then three, overseeing them not as domineering, but being role models for the flock. Those three things. So what does he mean by not forced, not under compulsion, but willingly? So being a shepherd to the church should never be done under compulsion or begrudgingly or because of some kind of social pressure or compulsion. So according to God, he says, it's kind of hard to interpret, but I think based on the rest of the sentence here, that it means according to God's will as opposed to other people. Sometimes people get under a lot of pressure, social pressure, pressure from a spouse or family to take on the burden of leadership in the church when they don't really actually want to, and they find themselves in a position of carrying weight that they weren't called to carry. So the will of other people may be enough to get you into service, but it will also be enough to get you to quit, right? Because being an elder of any type, any kind of leader in the church comes with pressure, Okay, and sometimes that pressure is people who don't like what you're doing. Okay, so if the only reason you're in it to begin with is that you were pressured into it or felt like, well, I should, then that same motivation is going to push you out of it. The will of other people being prioritized over the will of God is never a good idea, even if it's pushing you in a positive direction. Okay, it doesn't work well. You need to be compelled. I think, I don't think Peter is saying you should not be compelled by the will of God, (laughs) right? What he's saying is don't be compelled or do it begrudgingly by other people's expectations or even by your own ambition, but instead be compelled by the will of God. That's important. If you've been a leader for very long in any capacity, you know how true that is. Secondly, he says, don't be greedy, for shameful gain, instead be eager to serve. So Peter's probably thinking about financial gain here. It's interesting if you look at even the very early church here in the 60s, they're having trouble with elders taking advantage of the church for for, for their own financial gain, which is, um, it's amazing, right? There's nothing new. (laughs) People think that's a new complaint about leaders in the church, but it's not. It's a very, very old one. It's so old, in fact, that it's addressed not only by Peter, but also by Paul when he talks about eldership. But I also think it would be appropriate to include shameful gain as modern-day 
gained such as notoriety or respect or power, fame, public adoration, and other such things. The truth is most leaders never actually get recognized for what they do. In America, we have done this weird thing. <laughs> this, even the fact that the word celebrity pastor exists as a word is strange and bizarre. Okay, it is so far outside of what the Bible describes as what the role of a shepherd is. And the fact that we, when I say celebrity pastor, you think of people, that there are people that exist that would, you would identify as with that word is really weird. But this is what we've done. We've just imported these weird kind of American values into the church. And we feel like a successful elder or a successful leader or minister of any kind is someone who has lots of followers on social media, has a couple of book deals, never mind whether he wrote them or not, but he has lots of book deals and he does regular conferences and his face is on a 50-foot tall screen everywhere you look, right? And that is not the picture we get here as Peter describes it. That's, we don't do, we don't serve the church because of gain to ourselves, we serve just because we're eager to serve the body of Christ. That's the motivation. I think it's fascinating that Peter has to address that problem so early in the church. So instead of shameful gain, the motivation of the minister should be an eagerness to serve the flock of God. The leader will know his or her true motivation for ministry, by the way, when their service is not seen is unappreciated or is even rejected. So if you're wondering, ah, oh, you know, what's my motivation here? Is it for myself or is it just because I'm eager to serve? You'll find out really quick as soon as no one notices, <laughs> as soon as no one appreciates what you do, or worst case scenario, people actually don't like it and they reject you for it. Then you will find out what your real motivation is. One of the hardest things about this season, I think, in the church is that every leader in the churches are being separated from the positive feedback that they're used to. We're all being tested regarding why we're really doing what we do, myself included. I love having a room full of people to preach to, and if I'm honest, part of the reason why I love it is I get immediate positive feedback. And so sometimes Heather will say, you know, how do you think the sermon was? I was like, I have no idea. And what's weird is, I really have no idea. I can't see faces. I can't, no one tells me. And so it's like, and that's not a complaint. Listen, I'm, trust me, it's not a complaint. But every pastor I know is dealing with, says the same thing. I have no idea how it's going. And that's, I think God's doing that. He's testing our hearts as to why we're actually doing what we're doing. Are we doing it for shameful gain or are we just doing it because we're eager? I love that word, eager. He slips it in kind of quietly. It's one thing to serve begrudgingly. It's another thing to do it eagerly. I can't wait. Let's do it. I can't wait to lay down my life. Let's go. Let's do it, right? That's what he's after. And that seems to be how Peter was, eager to serve, not looking for shameful gain. Okay, and then the third phrase he puts in here is don't do it as domineering but instead be a role model these are two different ways to lead i think this applies not just in church leadership but across the board 
he highlights two ways to move sheep, okay? Because he's using this metaphor for shepherding, which he didn't come up with. Jesus came up with it. Uh, Peter comes up with very few original things. What he does is he tends to take what Jesus said and he just applies it to new context, which is what we should all do, right? So Peter takes this idea of a shepherd moving the sheep and he gives you essentially two ways to do that. One is you can motivate the sheep by getting behind them and doing what I call cracking the leadership whip. Right? That's, that's your sound effect for this morning, right? You can manipulate. You can get angry. You can get, if you're not the angry, aggressive type, you can be passive aggressive. That's my preferred way to express aggression. And you, or you can just complain. You can use fear and guilt to push people into serving more, sacrificing more, giving more, or just in general acting more excited about what you're doing, right? So it's this picture of the sheep and the shepherd being behind the sheep, cracking the whip and pushing them with this manipulation, okay? I think probably everybody who is watching this right now has experienced that kind of leadership. Maybe it was a boss who instead of asking you directly to do things, would just guilt you into it. Instead of drawing you onto their team, would just angrily push you and yell at you, and you lived under this constant fear of reprisal, and you and your coworkers are constantly like trying to keep your heads down. Or maybe you've experienced that in the church, when if you're not quite measuring up, what you get is the whip. It's a bad way to lead. The other option here, that's domineering. So the other option that Peter gives us is leading from the front. Front. What you can do is you can get out in front of the sheep and use your voice like a good shepherd. This is how Jesus talked about shepherding and talked about how he described what he was doing is the sheep will know my voice. I'm the good shepherd. This is a way that really expert shepherds in ancient Near East culture, and in some places even today, would move sheep. They would get out in front of them, and they had trained the sheep to listen to their voice, and they could just talk to the sheep and start walking, and the sheep would follow the shepherd's voice because they had learned his voice because he'd spent so much time with them. So in this scenario, you get out front with Jesus and lead by example is what Peter says. He was Jesus, Peter was there when Jesus said that he's the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and he took it to heart. And it's the way Peter's trying to lead. And now he's looking at the church and he's seeing all these leaders spread out across, like beyond his reach. And he's saying to them, now do what I did because I was doing what Jesus did. I followed Jesus' example and now follow my example. Peter's saying that this is how Christ-like leadership functions. So this does not mean, by the way, that you never call people to be better than they are, okay? It doesn't mean you never say negative things. Peter said a lot of negative things. Instead, Peter's addressing the attitude. It's about the heart attitude of the leader. Are you calling people into what you are already walking in yourself? Or are you simply frustrated that people aren't towing the line, joining your ministry, or lightening your load of responsibility? Are you calling people to be what Jesus has called them to be? Or are you calling people to fulfill your calling for you? 
quite often when we're frustrated in leadership, it's because we're trying to get other people to do the thing we're called to do for us. So never try to lead from behind with a whip. You lead from the front, and you lead gently with your voice, not with your whip. And interestingly enough, the whip doesn't work well. I think we all know this. If you've ever been in a church or in a company where the leadership led like with a whip, with fear and intimidation, it did not produce good results. I promise you it did not. Not lasting. Those are the kind of companies that people quit and move on to other places. Those are the kind of companies where people do the bare minimum. They do the minimum effort, and then as soon as the clock hits 5 o'clock, they're out the door because they're not invested personally because they're afraid or they're irritated and frustrated. The same thing is true of churches. The same thing is true of small groups. The same thing is true of every other leadership area in life. You don't lead from the back with a whip. You lead from the front. And so then in verse 4, there's this wonderful promise and kind of scary promise, okay? He says that the, the good shepherd, I like to call him the boss shepherd, okay? The boss shepherd is coming back to collect the sheep that you have been overseeing for him, okay? We are, elders are under shepherds. They're not the chief shepherd, they're under shepherds. You are looking after someone else's flock, Okay? The boss is going to come, and when he returns, he will reward his faithful under-shepherds with this amazing blessing that is eternal and forever. Parents, this is what you're doing. I know we often don't think of parenting in this context when we talk about elders, but I think it fits really well, and it's certainly timely, which is this is your job. Your kids don't belong to you. You are shepherds of them. You are under-shepherds. This is how you raise kids, as you lead from the front with your voice, not from back with, from the back with the whip. And you have to remember, even though things are hard, things are hard right now for a lot of parents, especially where in, in households where both parents are working full-time, or maybe there's a single-parent household where the mom or dad has to work, and now your kids are home either all the time or part of the time because schools aren't functioning normally. And it would be easy, I think, to forget this simple thing. Is that your job is not to educate your children so much as it is to be an elder, to be a shepherd to them. To take care of them in the place of Jesus and to represent him well. And he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to say, hey, nice job. You were faithful. You're a good shepherd. And he's going to reward you for it. That's coming. So look at verse 5. Now he turns his attention from the leaders in the church. He turns his attention to those who are, to everyone else, okay? He says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a quote of Proverbs 3.34. Peter quotes the Proverbs a lot, which is kind of an interesting fact about him. So younger here, the word younger here is not so much a reference to age as it is to not having seniority, okay? What Peter means is simply everyone who is not an elder, okay? That's a simple translation of what he means by that. He doesn't just mean like everybody under the age of, I don't know, 12 or something. That's not what he's saying. 
So Jesus and the apostles saw leaders as a gift to the church, which we often in our culture now don't see that. We don't tend to see authority figures of any type as a blessing. We tend to see them as kind of getting in our way. That's not how Peter sees it. It's not how Scripture talks about leaders. He sees them and God sees them as gifts. The church is not a gift for the elders. Okay, so the opposite is not true. You people in the church are not gifts to me to make my life better. It's the opposite. I am a gift to you. But I also shouldn't be a curse to you. I'm a blessing. That's what a gift is. So leaders must serve as Peter has outlined above. Right, humbly, not overbearing, eagerly, eager to serve, leading from the front as, as an example, all those things. And then he charges everyone else with submitting themselves to those good shepherds. There's a responsibility on the sheep under their charge. They must submit voluntarily to the shepherding. Okay. I think we could actually take the likewise in verse 5. If you look in verse 5. That word likewise, I think we could take that to mean that the qualifications Peter uses for elders in the previous verses, we can apply those to everyone else in this way. I've wrote it out so it's clear. It says, so number one, be subject to them, not as if forced, but willingly according to God. Two, be subject to them, not greedy for gain, but eager to be of service. Three, be subject to them, not as domineering, but being role models for the flock. I think it works both ways. In the way that we lead as elders, and in the way that we be, are subject to those leaders in the same way with humility. All of that wrapped up in one central, simple concept, which is clothe yourself in humility. Being humble is hard. It's hard to be humble as a leader, and it's hard to be humble as a follower. So when we talk about leadership in the church, I think we tend to do it only with people that are already leading. In fact, when I hit this, started thinking about how to teach this, I thought, well, you know, not everybody wants to hear about elders and leaders and all of that. That sounds like a boring sermon, but Peter doesn't do that. He puts it right here in his letter to the entire church. And I think that's significant for us to understand. I appreciate that Peter includes this in his letter to the churches because when the church is deployed in new ways, it needs new leaders, okay? The church has been deployed in a new way in 2020. I don't know if you've noticed, but doing centralized things with one leader has become very difficult. So whether you have the title of an elder as we think of it now or not, we should all aspire to living the life of an elder and possessing the character qualities of an elder. When Paul talks about eldership, he says, aspire to it. We should all aspire to the life of an elder. The lifestyle, the character qualities, the eagerness to serve, all of those things apply to everybody. This is what the church needs right now, and this is also what the world needs right now. And so here's the question I want to leave you with. What if you saw yourself <clears throat> as an elder in your neighborhood? What if you really took on that responsibility? What if you saw yourself as an elder in your school or in your workplace? 
What if you took that level of personal responsibility just for the people around you? Not just in your family, but for the people that live next door to you, the people that are at work, or if you're a student, the, the other people at school. What if you thought of yourself as an elder and actually used that term about yourself in that context? Maybe don't go around telling all your friends. That would be creepy and weird. But in terms of how you think of yourself, what if you applied that label to yourself liberally in whatever context you're in? I think the temptation in this season right now is to say to yourself, you know, this is all I can handle. My, 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 my job, um, my kids, my spouse, that, that little world is all I can handle. But I think God wants you to, to discover that you can actually carry more than you thought if you carry it in Jesus' name. It's not about taking on more tasks in your life. It's about how you see yourself and your role in the world around you and not just saying, well, I'm not an elder <laughs> or a leader with a title. I'm just a mom or I'm just a dad or I'm just an engineer or whatever your job is. Instead, you say, no, ultimately what I am is a shepherd to my community. I'm a shepherd to the church. I'm a shepherd to the people around me, and that is my responsibility, and I'm going to begin to step into that, whatever that means, eagerly, eager to serve. So I'm going to leave you with that thought. I'm going to pray for us that God would lead us all into that, that we would all be willing to take on that level of responsibility for the people around us and that we would receive our reward. Amen. So let's pray. God, I just ask you now to just convict us all that ultimately you have called us all to lead somewhere. And God, I also pray for leaders in the church, not just Living Hope Church, but so many um, elders and pastors around the world right now, especially in the United States right now with so much going on with the coronavirus and the economy and politics. It's a difficult job. God, I pray right now that you would just give them strength. God, whatever, if there's any mixture in their hearts as to their motivation for why they're doing what they're doing, God, that you would sort that out and that you would reestablish them in obeying your will and your will alone, and that you would establish them in doing their job humbly and gently and full of grace and eagerly. God, I thank you for leaders in this church willing to lay down their lives for the flock. And what a blessing they are. And God, we ask you for more. God, I pray that our every person in our church, wherever you have placed them in their life, that they would think of themselves as shepherds to the people around them. And they would carry that authority with them wherever they go. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. I miss seeing you. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you.